0: Oh, they'll fake it.
1: Bates throws it. He's got him. Yeah, wide open. He's got Charlie Gant inside the 10. He can walk in. Spartans win. Touchdown, MSU. Whoa, he has trouble with the snap. And the ball is free. It's picked up by Michigan State.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to Green and White Noise. My name is Chris Vanini. I'm joined by Colton Pouncey. We are your hosts, and it's time to talk some Michigan State football. A comfortable win over Northwestern and a new lawsuit involving Mark D'Antonio. Uh, Colton, you're still in Chicago as we are recording this. Uh, you're from there. You stayed there for the, for the game in Evanston. How is the mood in the city? Is there a hangover across the greater Chicago area for the hometown Wildcats losing?
2: Yeah, you know, in terms of uh, heartbreaking losses in region Chicago sports history, this is probably up there with the uh, double doink from the uh, Bears-Eagles game. (laughs) It's definitely going to take some time to recover from this one. Uh, No, just a real tough, tough break for uh, Chicago's Big Ten team. But uh, MSU was able to leave with a W, so good for them, I guess. And a reminder to everybody who's listening,
0: this podcast is available wherever you get podcasts. Uh, We have our weekly Thursday preview pod that's only available on The Athletic. We had a lot of good stuff on there last week. Um, So subscribe and check that out if you have not yet. Also, The Athletic has debuted The Lead, a new daily podcast that will touch on a single story in sports every day. Recent episodes have touched on mental health. Uh, in college football and something about the ice bucket challenge and the lead was the number one sports podcast last week. So highly recommend you check that out the lead by the athletic uh, Colton before we get into the game. I wanted to touch on another issue that came up last week. Uh, Curtis Blackwell MSU's former recruiting director is suing Mark D'Antonio former AD Mark Hollis and former president Luana K. Simon for wrongful termination. And he's also suing the police for unlawful arrest. And some background for people who maybe saw this last week and didn't totally know what to make of it. Curtis Blackwell ran the Sound Mind, Sound Body Camps, recruiting camps in Detroit for a long time. And it was hired by MSU in, I think, 2013 to help MSU's recruiting operations. And and he did just that. But in January 2017, there was an alleged sexual assault involving Three players who were later charged, kicked off the team, pled guilty to lesser counts, and they now play Juco football. In February of that year, Blackwell was suspended by MSU, and an investigation led by the Jones Day Law Firm noted that Blackwell had spoken with the three players and a parent and did not pass any of that info on MSU. Uh, that's also partly why Blackwell was arrested, though he wasn't charged um He says he was only mentoring the players, but Blackwell remained suspended with pay, and his contract was extended month by month through the Jones Day law firm investigation, and it wasn't renewed when that investigation ended. D'Antonio cited philosophical differences. The Jones Day report ultimately said most MSU employees followed proper protocol, including D'Antonio and the coaches, but that Blackwell had violated school policy. Jones Day said Blackwell refused to be interviewed, uh, Blackwell has said he wasn't asked to be interviewed. Uh, Blackwell also says the situation has prevented him from getting another college job. And as part of the wrongful termination case, uh, Blackwell cited positive, positive performance reviews and noted that he had no interview with Mark Hollis before he was uh, ultimately not brought back, which is he alleges is a, was a contract clause. Uh, I know the contract ran out. He wasn't technically fired. But there are contract details I'm not totally aware of. I don't know the details of labor law. I can't speak to that. But what I want to talk about is Blackwell's deposition, which was reported by ESPN and others last week. And it's Blackwell talking heavily about Austin Robertson, a former player who had legal issues before MSU signed him as a recruit. And his, his signing was delayed at the time because he'd been kicked off his uh, football team for some charges. But MSU ultimately went forward and signed, uh, signed him. And a few months after that January 27, 2017 incident, Robertson allegedly committed a sexual assault. He was kicked off the team and later pled to a lesser charge, and he is currently in prison. Blackwell says he was made the fall guy, blamed for sexual assault issues. He says Mark D'Antonio went against the advice of multiple assistants in deciding to bring Robertson in. D'Antonio set up a program to monitor and mentor Robertson, but obviously didn't work out. I can't speak to the lawsuit, but what jumped out of these claims is that Blackwell's been talking a lot about Robertson, but Blackwell was suspended before the Robertson incident. Blackwell was already in trouble before that happened. So for Blackwell to bring it up feels like an attempt to throw some dirty laundry out there and and paint D'Antonio in a negative light. Uh, D'Antonio was then, has been, and should be criticized for bringing Robertson in. Everybody knew the problems that he had. And it is notable that we're learning of more internal pushback on bringing Robertson in. Uh, And I do think D'Antonio needs to speak to that at some point. But I don't know if Robertson has anything to do with this Blackwell claim here. Neither does D'Antonio, who released a statement saying Robertson had nothing to do with Blackwell's situation. The fact that D'Antonio went public with such a response shows he's clearly not happy about it. My uneducated read was... Blackwell's been trying to force a settlement. D'Antonio's lawyer is not happy about the timing. He says they tried to set up dates before the season for D'Antonio to testify. Uh, so it's getting really messy. It's getting public. I don't believe D'Antonio was asked about it after the game. Uh, we'll see if he eventually is. But, Colton, you weren't, you weren't yet on the beat when this all went down. Um, what has kind of been your reaction to the story so far, and, and do you think this could get even messier?
2: Yeah. First of all, Chris, I think you did a a great job explaining the situation and all the important background info related to the lawsuit. Um, as you mentioned, I, I I wasn't around when all of this played out. Um, but the lawsuit has been discussed in East Lansing in recent weeks, um, back in, back in August, the Tuesday before the season opener, Mark D'Antonio was asked if he was concerned about the Blackwell lawsuit becoming a distraction this season. And he said, no, uh, pretty, pretty swiftly actually. Um, but now it's, it's kind of reached a point where it sort of has become a bit of a distraction. Blackwell's deposition is newsworthy because it was under oath. Um, it's reached a point where D'Antonio responded with a statement of his own, and D'Antonio's attorney even provided a statement. I'm not sure I have much of a reaction since this is an ongoing matter and, you know, there's some gray area here. But this doesn't seem like something that will just disappear. Um, and at the very least, it has created somewhat of a distraction for uh, Mark D'Antonio.
0: Yeah. Uh, thanks for everybody who bared with me through all of that. But I, I felt all those details were important to lay out kind of the whole situation because there's a lot going on here. Um, again, I don't know what this means for the lawsuit moving forward. I don't think Robertson has much to do with it. But that doesn't make what Blackwell said in the deposition, again, under oath, uh, irrelevant. Because if assistants did say that they you know wouldn't want their daughter around him, And D'Antonio still went forward with it. I would like to see a response from him on that specific issue. Why did he feel Robertson was worth all the trouble that they had to go through? Because, I mean, the bottom line is somebody was assaulted because Robertson was brought in to Michigan State to play football against the judgment of others. And any additional warnings ignored by the head coach are notable and something he should answer for at some point. We will see where things go from here. Uh, but this is probably not the last we are going to hear from this. But with that, we will actually turn to football now, a 31-10 Michigan State win, a comfortable win uh, that once the MSU offense kind of got going, they pulled away, the defense was stout, and MSU was 1-0 in the Big Ten. Colton, you were obviously there. I've never actually been to Ryan Field or Northwestern. Uh, What was the atmosphere like in that stadium And, and then kind of the mood of MSU after the game?
2: Yeah, that was, that was a pretty comfortable win. Um, it was close for a little bit, but I think the, the, the outcome was really never in doubt once it got to a certain point in the second half. Um, obviously, it was Mark D'Antonio's 110th win at Michigan State. He's now the winningest coach in program history. So the celebration there um, on the field lasted a little bit longer. It seemed like there was a nice pr- uh, post-game celebration in the locker room for him, too, with, with some of the players um but also I, I just think this team likes to play on the road it's probably good away it's probably good to kind of step away for a little bit after the first three games at home um granted there are a lot of msu fans in attendance uh but i do think it was nice to have a performance like this away from spartan stadium and the most important thing is that this team started off 1-0 in the big 10 and they sort of shook off last week's loss
0: yeah the last couple of years i think they've they just look more comfortable on the road sometimes. I don't know if it's because they don't have to, it it just, there's less pressure from the home fans. You're not getting booed by your home fans. I think I I haven't been in Spartan Stadium in a while, but just coming through the TV, you get the sense that everybody is just waiting for like two bad drives in a row. And then for people to start to get restless, you can, (laughs) it comes through the screen that everybody's just kind of, waiting for something to go wrong. Uh, but MEC scores a touchdown on the opening drive here, which they've done in three or four games. And I, I tweeted at the time, I said, that's not been the problem. The problem has been the rest of the game. And after that, the number of drives kind of went nowhere. Uh, they eventually get kind of a kind of a two-minute drive at the end. Uh, then there's some stuff that slowed things down before halftime, but they get a touchdown, 14-3 to three halftime score. Uh, second half, they put together some scoring drives, some long drives, eight plays, more more than that, and they put the game away early in the fourth quarter. Took advantage of turnovers, finished drives. That that was my biggest key to the game we talked about on Thursday was was um, finishing drives when you when you get uh, in the red zone when you get on northwestern side of the field, and they generally did that. LaRueki was solid, Elijah Collins was solid, wide receivers were. Pretty good. Matt Seibert had uh, two touchdowns as as an interesting red zone option from the tight end. Um, Colton, what were your kind of biggest takeaways from the game in terms of maybe what you expected or what you wanted to see?
2: Yeah, you know, that that red zone efficiency was something that we both talked about. And you mentioned that on the last podcast. Um, So it it really was good to see that Um, the offense was opportunistic and finished off those drives. Really, you know, MSU scored four touchdowns in this game on offense. The last time they'd done that was, against a Power 5 team at least, was the 2017 Holiday Bowl. Uh, so that was certainly encouraging, and, and that's what you needed to see. Um, you know, the 404 yards of offense against Arizona State were nice, but if you want to beat good teams, you'll need to convert field goal opportunities and, and some of those takeaways in an opponent's territory. you got to convert that into touchdowns and meaningful points, and that's what Michigan State did against Northwestern. And I think now their next challenge is to find some consistency really before, you know, you get into that October stretch where you face Ohio State, Wisconsin, and Penn State back to back to back.
0: Yeah, I mean they only had three hundred and thirty seven yards against Northwestern, four point seven per play. That's not great, but they when they got a turnover they, they turned it into points. When they got the red zone, they turned it into a touchdown. And that's the difference between that's the real difference between wing and losing not how many yards you pick up in between the 20s. And I think this game uh, kind of really showed that. Um, we So we opened the, the listener voicemail line. I forgot to tweet it after the game, uh, but we, we put it out there and we got one from Marcus in Atlanta. So let's listen to what he had to say.
1: This is Marcus down in Atlanta, Georgia, calling after that game. You know... I'm, I'm glad to see us win, and, uh, you know, it felt great to see us have some offense, especially when you see Michigan go up to uh, Wisconsin and struggle. But it's like some, uh, you know, that Avengers uh, endgame movie where Hawkeye's like, don't do this, you know, don't give me hope. You know, every time we look good, it makes you believe maybe, maybe we'll get things together this season, actually have a great um, year. But then I know we're going to probably struggle into Indiana, probably pull off the win, but still struggle. And, you know, it's just going to be this roller coaster of emotion similar to the year when we won the Holiday ball. It's just, I'd like to see some consistency. i like to see people not get hurt. So it, you know, there aren't these stressors, but you know, great to see us win. And, you know, right now I think my biggest focus is, you know, let's just beat Michigan this year and I'll call, call this season a success.
0: So I think his his feeling is, is a lot of MSU fans in that it was it was good to have a win, but can they build off of that uh, against Indiana or the better teams? Because this offense has been down and up, down and up through four games. Very, very, very inconsistent. Um, obviously, people might be feeling better about the Michigan game after what Wisconsin did. That's still a ways away. Um, but, you know... Coming out of this game, Colton, do, do you think MSU can build off this? Do you, do you think they're able to get back on track, or do we kind of have to wait to see it?
2: Yeah, I mean, just in my opinion, I I do think this offense you know, has been more productive than last year at least. Um, Brian Lewerke is healthy. He's been pretty solid this year. Uh, he might not have the pure arm talent of, of a Connor Cook or a Kirk Cousins, but he's good enough to make plays and help you win games. Um, Elijah Collins has – really solidified this running back position. He's just a real patient runner in the backfield and shifty enough to make guys miss in space. Uh, Daryl Stewart's been great. He catches everything. Cody White's coming along. Um, You know, Brian he has got that chemistry with him in the red zone. So, you know, I think you're seeing like the pieces in place of a productive offense. Um, I think we're really also trying to figure out what to expect from them on a week to week basis. And yeah, that does go back to consistency, but you know, I think MSU is kind of meeting most of its goals so far this season. Um, I remember Brian Lewerke said in August that the offensive's goal was to you know score 30 points a game, 400 yards of offense, and then they'd be happy with that. And right now, MSU's at 29.3 points per game and um, 406 yards per game, so they're really you know right where they want to be. Um, I think you do want to see that consistency grow from week to week, especially when you get into that harder part of the schedule, but. You know, I think I think they've been mostly on track so far this season, and obviously you just want to see that grow as the season continues.
0: Yeah, you want to average thirty, but that doesn't mean fifty and ten in back to back, back to back <laughs> games. Um, I thought Lawky looked kind of like twenty seventeen Uh I I know you weren't there at the time, Colton, but it was just a a solid, scrappy performance where he makes the 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 key throws when he needs to they finish drives and they're basically opportunistic because the 2017 msu uh offense was not great it, it was not all that much better in the stat department compared to the last couple of years but they, they 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 performed well in the fourth quarter they 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 converted in the red zone they they were better on third down uh the work he got over the turnovers problems that he had and so that, that that looked like the old workie that I hadn't really seen in a while in a situation like this. Um, we haven't talked about the defense, but uh, Joe Bocce was everywhere. He had 14 tackles, 13 solo tackles, and I saw on Sunday night that D'Antonio said Bocce had 50-something points in, in whatever the MSU defensive scoring system is, and considering uh, in, in, in that – What's considered a good performance is 17. So to get 50-something, to it, it sounded like to thought that was one of the best individual defensive performances he has ever seen. And you could kind of tell early that Bacci was, was not a step too slow on plays in the flat. He was getting through holes on, on the goal line stuffs. What did you make of him and the defense?
2: Yeah, I mean, I tweeted like within the first couple minutes of the game that Bachi was just flying to the ball whenever you know, attacking opportunity was there. You could kind of tell it was going to be one of those games early on. Um, yeah, and his overall numbers at the end, you know, you, you mentioned it—14 tackles, um, he had a sack, he had an interception, a couple tackles for loss. So that was that was about a complete performance I've seen from Joe Bachi since I've been on the beat. Um, and he's the guy that that kind of sets the tone for the defense and. When he's balling like that, it it pumps everyone else up. You got a bunch of Illinois guys um, along the defensive line, and they're pumped up to get going, Mike Ponashuk and Rayquan Williams. So that defensive effort, it's something that you can come to expect on a weekly basis, but it definitely seemed like they turned it up a notch against Northwestern. So let's go to our uh, moments of the game. So the Le'Veon
0: Bell, how did he do that moment of the game? I'm actually going with Northwestern on this one, and it's the kicker – and that field goal that they made uh their first points of the game that thing nearly went out he kicked it from straight on <laughs> it was nearly outside the right goal post and then ended up on the left side of the middle of the goal of the goal post. i've never seen a hook like that ever i don't know what you were there was it like was it crazy windy
2: it, there was a decent amount of wind yeah uh, but still just watching that you had no idea where it was going to end up <laughs> and then it, it actually went through. So yeah, that was a wild field goal. I,
0: I thought it was for sure a miss. And then it, it was, I just, I'd never seen anything like that before, even in, even in like crazy wind for it to just cut like that. It was like a, it was like a golf hook or like a curve ball. Just, just really weird. <laughs> kind of blew my mind. Uh, what was your, what was your Le'Veon Bell? How did he do that moment of the game?
2: I'll go with uh, Josiah Scott's interception. Um, He made this diving kind of acrobatic uh, interception on a ball that looked like Hunter Johnson might've been trying to throw away, but you know, he picked it off anyway. And I think that was huge for him. He's, you know, he had a chance to come away with an interception late in that Arizona state game. It would have been tough. He's kind of falling on the ground, but uh, he's had a couple of opportunities and hasn't, hasn't come through yet. So for him to get that interception, I think that, you know, that'll help him going forward. And also, that interception gave the offense the ball back, you know, late in the in the, the second quarter right before the half and they punched it in for a touchdown, gave them a, a 14-3 lead going into the half. Um, Brian Lowry talked about that and said that was kind of a huge momentum swing for the offense and that kind of set the tone for the second half. Um so I, you know, if that touchdown doesn't happen, it's a 7-3 game going at halftime and I think at that point your mind starts to wander. Oh, oh man, we're getting back to last year's offense. So so honestly, that that interception really affected the offense and the defense, so I'll go with I'll go with that one.
0: That was that's a good one. Yeah, he was diving out of bounds. I didn't think he I didn't think he had it. Uh, did a great job of getting the feet in. Uh, great play. Uh, as for the John L. Smith screwing it up moment of the game, uh, I go with Cody White fumbling two punt returns. One of them he was dancing around and fumbled it. The other was a a muff that I think he got back. Um, he eventually got pulled for Brandon Sowards, which drew a lot of groans from MSU fans I think after memories of Sowards not returning punts last year but he did return one and had a good return but yeah Cody White getting pulled off of the punt return team for you know he's got moves we we can you can see that he he made a couple guys miss on that return before he fumbled he made a bunch of guys miss on the trick play that didn't work he's the kind of guy you want in a punt return situation but you got to hold on to the ball It's the first thing and and nothing will lose you you won't lose a job quicker than if you fumble the ball. So that's my screwing it up moment of the game. How about you?
2: Yeah, I'll, this is kind of a collective effort. I'll go with the uh, the second team defense. Um, you know, kind of giving up that late touchdown in the game. MSU was up thirty-one to three. Final score is thirty-one to ten. Obviously, you know, most teams would, would take ten points. Most defenses would at least. Um, but you know, players on this team they want as you know as few, few points allowed in games possible. Uh, this is actually the second time the second defense has, has kind of given up a touchdown. We saw that in the, in the Western Michigan game. So through four games, MSU's only allowed 44 total points, and I think 14 of those are attributed to that second-team defense. Um, so really only 30 when the starters are in there. Um, obviously not, not a huge concern when you're already up late in the game, but maybe something to monitor, especially when some of those guys start to take over next year.
0: That, that's, a, that's a good that's a good point. I mean, thirty points through four games. So they they sit here at three and one through four games. I think if you said that at the beginning of the year, people would be like, okay. But the way that the games have played out, I think has led led to some consternation. Uh, they got another Big Ten one with Indiana this week. What, what what do you what kind of sense do you get of of the mood? Do do, do you feel that? the team is more optimistic moving forward than than the fans are
2: you know i think well especially after northwestern i think um most players are definitely optimistic after a win i but at the same time i i think they do realize they need to be more consistent they can't have this kind of jekyll and hyde type offense um they, they got to put more consistent points on the board they can't go from 51 and and seven the next week um And I think they understand that, especially knowing that you got Indiana coming up and then a couple of really tough big 10 games and they don't really have much room for air going forward. Um, So, so I do think they're cautiously optimistic, you know, whenever you have a defense that's allowing 11 points a game, you have to feel good about your chances of of competing in a game. Um, And now it's just about, again, that offense, just, you know, making more things happen in the game and and not letting it come down to maybe one or two plays at the end. Um, But no three and one, I think they're fine with that so far.
0: And, and it's, better that the one is a non-conference game because it, it, that, that makes, you know, if you want any chance at winning the Big Ten, the Indiana game this week is a, is a must-have because after that it's Ohio State, Wisconsin, Penn State, two of them on the road, all of them top 15 teams. Uh, so, yeah, you got to kind of make your hay before you hit that stretch when things might not go the way you want. Uh, but we will talk about Indiana on Thursday. And that'll do it here. Again, we'll be back Thursday to talk Indiana on the preview podcast that's only for subscribers. Again, please rate, review, subscribe. Give us any feedback. Uh, We definitely read all of it, and we really appreciate that. So let us know what you think. We appreciate it when people uh, tweet at us about it. So that'll do it here. For Colton Pouncy, I'm Chris Vanini. Thanks to our producer, Mike Zimmerman, who always fixes audio problems we have when we try to do this thing he's great shout out to the road dog jesse james and we will talk to y'all later hey there everybody we are excited to share some big news our team here at the athletic and our friends at wondery just launched a brand new daily sports show called the lead that we know that you are going to love the lead is the first daily sports news podcast that will cover everything from the world stage to the hometown with the help of the athletics more than 400 writers and editors Co-hosts Kavitha Davidson and Andres Kelto will bring you sports news up close and personal each weekday morning. You are about to hear a preview of The Lead. Subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now so you don't miss an episode. There is also a link in the episode notes that will take you there. And check out theathletic.com slash The Lead to read the stories that will be featured on The Lead moving forward. You can follow sports through
1: sound bites or a full story. From up in the press box or down on the sidelines.
2: What do, you, what do you want to accomplish this year? Actually, I want to accomplish getting on this team first.
1: This fall, a new daily podcast brings you closer to the sports stories that matter.
2: Stories about players. A guy like Zion just represents that hope of the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. And that's the buzzer. Oh, he knocks it down. Stories about hometowns. You will see hundreds of people wearing number 32 Simpson jerseys uh, in the stands on Sunday afternoons for a Bills home game. And
1: stories about the teams you love. This was the first chance for all those baseball fans to see their guys.
2: From The Athletic, home to the best storytelling in sports. And Wondery,
1: the company behind Sports Wars and Gladiator.
2: I'm Kavitha Davidson.
1: And I'm Anders Kelto. Introducing The Lead. Faster, faster. Go beyond the box score, five days a week. This isn't a story where you go to some place and interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. Are
0: you kidding me? I've never
2: seen anything like that. The Lead premieres September 16th on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.
1: Oh, what a that. The Lead, sports up close. Hey,
0: hey, I need some more of that.